Hi there, hello, and welcome to Reflections. I am Rom Gayoso, your host. So first and foremost, thank you so very much for your being here with me and my guest today. I know your time is very important, and I am the guy who will make sure it is invested wisely. So today we have a very special guest, and I'm sure it will be a very fun show. So please stick around. Today we're going to talk about sci-fi, so science fiction, and how to make it work for you. Okay, so uh, before I get started, I have to cover a little bit of the rules. Everybody's got some rules, and uh, we're not different, but it's important uh, to go over them so that uh, we have no issues. Okay, so in terms of rules and regulations, uh, we, we really don't have many, uh, but we do broadcast over a variety of different channels, and they all have slightly different rules concerning the use of chat. And since we make a lot of use of chat, we need to pay very close attention to those requirements. So basically, uh, the rules, they can be summarized as follows. Just be nice, be polite, be courteous. There is just only one steadfast, one golden rule. There's absolutely no hate speech allowed, okay? So by the way, the chat boxes are indeed open. So please uh, take a moment to familiarize yourself with the chat. So depending uh, which service you're using, you have a chat box or a chat window, okay? So uh, just uh, please say hi uh, and let me know where you're watching from. And if you are uh, one of our podcast listeners or if you're listening to this as a recording, please uh, drop a comment on our YouTube page and they'll make sure uh, to say hi and acknowledge you and check your comments and questions. And um, by the way, the um, chat boxes are open, so feel free to use them. I do have a very special favor to ask of you. So since there are several chat windows running at the same time, and I have to uh, literally check on them while I'm talking to the guest, it saves me a lot of time. If you could please type hashtag ask, that is hashtag A. SK in front of your question. This way, when I'm scrolling up and down or through the chats, I can immediately spot your question and pose it to the guest. Okay. So again, there are several ways for you to submit a question. Uh, the chat, chat box to chat window is just one of them. Uh, if you're live, uh, you can email me a question. So please email it to editor at imcimagazine.com. Or if you prefer to use the talk to text function, you can do that. Just text your question to plus 001 for the United States, 480-544-8372, and I will get your text. Now, all privacy rules still do apply. I will not save your text or your number. Uh, once it is read, it is deleted. All righty. So let's get to the uh, first order of business, which is our agenda. So what are we going to be doing today? So in the chat, we're going to be talking. It's a short introduction. I'm going to say a few words about the magazine, a few words about the topic. Actually, uh, halfway through the presentation, I will uh, take a little break, reinforce what we've seen. We got some requests to kind of summarize. So we'll summarize and say this is where we have been. This is where we are going. That's where we are. I'm going to introduce Dr. Tom Lombardo. And 
Of course, uh, since there are several questions and comments, and if you have that last minute burning question, there is still some time set aside uh, towards the end of the show. And again, if you are not watching us live, or if you're listening through the podcast, or you're watching this as a recording, please go back to our YouTube channel and just pose the comment, pose the question. I monitor those chats. I will bring them back to the guest, Dr. Lombardo, and I'm going to ask him the question. And he's wonderful about getting back to people. And you will get your question answered no matter what. Well, we're local. So in any event, I can go grab a cup of coffee with him and ask your questions, and he will tell me. So after that, we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming events. So uh, what's in the works? Uh, what am I working on? Uh, who am I going to bring next? And stuff like that. Okay. So uh, next, uh, let's go to the first topic, which is uh, our short introduction. So again, uh, we have Reflections, and Reflections is the podcast and live stream partner of IMCI Magazine. You can find us online at www.imcimagazine.com. We are a publication in the United States under registry 2769-0008. We are a member of EWS America Media, so we are family of a media together. We have you know, a blog, uh, social media presence, the magazine, podcast, live stream. We're working on it. So um, our focus, the focus of the magazine and the podcast and live stream complement what we do in the magazine is really intelligence. About half of the magazine is about, you know, intelligence topics, so competitive intelligence, market intelligence, economic intelligence. So, so that's the today. So the markets today, uh, you know, what's going on with the market. And then the other half or a good chunk of the magazine is about the tomorrow. What's the future studies, foresight. So that's the world of tomorrow. And that world is that's where your products and services will be bought and sold. So we really need to get a hold of this world of tomorrow and what it looks like. Now, our vision, the reason why we exist, is really to bring diverse perspectives and voices to the debate. So what you see here on the right-hand side uh, is the front cover of our latest edition, and the focus on that is on sensing, so making, making sense um, of the environment. So uh, before I welcome Dr. Lombardo, I wanted to say a few words about the topic of the show today, why I think this is a fun show. So please stick around because you're going to hear his views on science fictions. So one, one thing uh, to mention is that among all of us futurists, my guest today, Dr. Tom Lombardo, is considered to be the reference. So if we have a thought or a question or a doubt or we need guidance or clearance on anything uh, related to science fiction, it is indeed Dr. Tom Lombardo. That's the go-to person here. So this show is a great opportunity for us to hear his views on a variety of different subjects, and I will try to cover as many as possible. Uh, but most importantly is how you can put sci-fi to work to help you achieve your objectives. So, so this is the really real secret of why we're having this talk today is understanding how to make it work and how to make it work for you. 
So in between the questions or things that really needs to come clear is the value. So what is the value of sci-fi, right? And in my perspective, so one of the central values of sci-fi is its liberating power, okay? So when we engage in a sci-fi exercise, all boundaries are indeed removed and we are free to build, to reconstruct, or rather, or better, I should say, uh, co-construct a new reality, right? So, and, and what is this new reality, right? Well, again, that is the market where you will sell your products and services. So this process, this creative process, which is necessary for us to imagine what this alternative reality looks like, will actually help you design and understand the preconditions necessary for your offering to succeed in the marketplace. So uh, uh, no doubts about this. This is, this is not a toy. Science fiction is not a toy. People think, oh, this is to entertain or distract. No, it's used for a variety of reasons. And focus today, we're talking about business reasons. Why should you use? What's the importance of science fiction? Now, uh, I have to talk a little bit about some of my favorite shows and some of my favorite cartoons. And one of them is Johnny Quest. I don't know if you guys remember Johnny Quest, but it had several things that were absolutely not real in 1960. Uh, for starters, they had vertical lift jets. You know, we, we, we have them nowadays, but back then, there's just imagination, right? They had mad scientists that could clone animals, right? Uh, forget Dolly the sheep. We're trying to bring back the mammoths, right? So we're using mammoth cells and we want to, you know, uh, bring them back from extinction. So things that we thought were, quote, science fiction, now they're becoming reality. I want to talk a little bit about the Jetsons, right? So George Jetson had a flying car. Well, there are flying cars today. I mean, they don't look exactly the same or they, they can't turn into a, a briefcase when you unfold them, but they do exist. And the dog Astro, if you remember Astro, he had the nemesis, which uh, was a robotic dog. We already have that. There are robotic dogs going around, right? Flash Gordon had laser guns, right? And that's from the 20s, right? And I had LASIK eye surgery. So somebody put a laser in my eyes and I see, and I can see clearly now. Right? Uh, Dr. Lombardo in his books and his talks, he... He does talk a lot about Metropolis. And what was a Metropolis? Well, there is a robot, a robot walking around, right? Uh, and nowadays, they run around. They don't not just walk. They do backflips. So the robots are, are doing wonderful things, right? If you think about Captain Kirk, right? His communicator, what was that? Well, that's today's cell phone. And the tricorder that could look to a person's body is our CT scan. Right, so maybe it's not miniaturized yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there somewhere. So again, so my my point here is so many things that we considered sci-fi yesteryear, right, are science reality today. You know, so the idea here is let's get on board. Let's be the first ones to imagine those products of tomorrow or this world of tomorrow, or this reality of tomorrow, so that we can, again, this is a business show, so that we can place our products and our services. 
Well, well, you you get the idea, right? So um, uh, let's get started. Uh, let me um, say um, a few words uh, about uh, Dr. Tom Lombardo. So he is the director of the Center for Future Consciousness. He is a board member and a fellow of the World Future Studies Federation. He is also Professor Emeritus, retired chair of psychology, philosophy, and the future at uh, uh, Rio Salado College. So uh, without uh, further ado, let me welcome Dr. Lombardo. Dr. Lombardo, how are you today? I'm doing well, Aram. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you uh, so much uh, for being here. It's so good to talk with you again. So folks, uh, uh, Dr. Lombardo was in a talk with me at uh, Books and Authors where we took, talked a little longer about his books. Today I'm going to touch on two of his books, uh, but please uh, go watch that show because he talks a lot more um, about the books. So today we're going to talk about other types of contents, uh, but please uh, check that interview. I will post that, uh, that interview with him on the comment section so um, you have access to it. The books were just released, uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead, please. Yeah, in fact, uh, I, I could add that uh, if you go to the website for the Center for Future Consciousness, you can uh, see all of the books I've written on uh, science fiction, the future, future consciousness, consciousness in general. Uh, they're all up there, uh, aside from the latest two on uh, the history of science fiction. So he has a very long career and lots of interesting books and ideas. And we're going to talk about the center because it's another fantastic resource. I, I hope you guys visit. So uh, the comment section is going to be long. I'm going to be adding several different comments. There will be different links, but they will be marked properly. So you know what we're talking about here. So I, I hope I didn't uh, botch my introduction. I hope I did a decent enough job at this, but if I miss anything else that is important, uh, could you please uh, say a few words uh, about you? Uh, well, one thing I already mentioned was that there's a number of different books I've written over the years, uh, aside from the most recent two. Um, and uh, I live in the Phoenix metro area, and um, I'm also an artist at heart. Uh, I do a lot of art in different ways uh, over the years. Uh, and gardening, too, <laughs> to throw in a little more holistic description, uh, aside from simply uh, uh, sit and write and teach and uh, think about the future. So what do you grow? Because I do organic gardening as much as I can. So what do you grow, actually? Oh, um, I have uh, lots of cactus, uh, lots of uh, uh, various uh, desert flowers out in the front yard, in the backyard. And uh, I'm not a professional gardener. Uh, but um, I enjoy getting outside and um, uh, working with plants and uh, 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 turning uh, our yard, our backyard especially, into a, a rather lush Arizona garden. Those are beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Wonderful. So um, let's, uh, I wanted to, uh, the audience to get you in a different, uh, different ways and a variety of different, different ways. So. The question I want to pose is, how is it that you arrived at your role? I mean, I want to get to know you as a futurist. So how did you decide that your career would be 
future focused and as opposed to, you know, just the present uh, daily lives? Yeah, um, actually, uh, my personality um, uh, lends itself uh, to um, uh, reinventing myself every decade or two. So um, I, I really did not uh, identify myself as a futurist. Uh, until I was uh, almost uh, 50 years old, um, uh, teaching at Rio Salado College. Uh, I was asked to create a, a course on integrative studies uh, for the uh, uh, graduating students. And at that time, it hit me that a great integrative study course would be uh, on the future. Uh, and indeed, uh, it hit me that... Uh, the future was the only game in town. It had great practical uh, value that uh, understanding the possibilities of the future and how to think about the future and how to uh, create uh, a positive future for oneself, those were very fundamental to uh, having a good education. And so um, I came to those realizations back in uh, the mid-1950s, or early, not 1950s, early 1990s. Uh, so I got into it because I thought it was a very practical concern. I also came to the conclusion that thinking about the future was the most consciousness, mind-expanding topic that one could entertain. The possibilities regarding the future are immense. Uh, uh, we uh, uh, can imagine and consider all kinds of uh, uh, amazing and wondrous and marvelous things coming in the future. So it's very mind-stretching. So I thought in my mind that this is something to teach the students, and this is something to focus my attention on. I had a background and an interest all of my life in science fiction, so my mind was primed and ready uh, but I got into it uh, for those reasons, among many others. And I should also just mention, if you want a bit more of a detailed description of how I became a futurist, uh, you can uh, get and read my book, uh, Mind Flight, which is a kind of philosophical autobiography of uh, the development of my thinking and how I became fascinated with the future and how I developed a, a career uh, teaching and writing about the future. So that's one very interesting aspect about your work is that you're such a well-rounded scholar. You know, you, you, you have the philosopher, you have the psychologist, you have the futurist, you have the business person, you have the educator. So you fish from a variety of different ponds. And I think this is what makes uh, your thought process and your books and, and, and your talks and your presentations, lectures to be so interesting. Yeah, in fact, just to comment on that, Rob, uh, as I mentioned earlier, every decade or two, I reinvent myself. And so along the way, I've had uh, uh, interests and fascinations with history, which is important in understanding okay. the future, and evolution. Uh, I worked in mental health uh, and uh, worked in big mental hospitals, so I have experience in psychotherapy. I've always had a big fascination with philosophy, too. Um, and I had also mentioned to you earlier that um, uh, I have lifelong interest in science fiction. Uh, and I've also been interested in art. So, uh, yes, yes, along the way, I've tried a lot of different things, studied lots of different things. And indeed, lots of futurists are, in fact, generalists 
who pulled together varied interests they've had uh, when they come to the study of the future. Uh, being a generalist is very helpful because you got to take the big picture of things re regarding the future. You got to think about the physical side of things, the psychological, the social, the artistic. Um, you even have to think about um, uh, ethics, religion, values, all of that. So being a generalist is of great value in becoming a, a futurist because the future uh, is going to involve the future of everything and not just simply gadgets and technology. It's going to involve uh, all the different dimensions of human reality. So it's good to have a generalist background. Yeah, but it's interesting that you mentioned art because uh, one of the very interesting tools that I really like is the objects of the future. So when you create an object or you use art to envision some reality. So this is such a powerful tool, uh, a visualization tool, but then you put it in the physical world. It's either a picture, a painting, an object, a sculpture, or, or you know, an object, something yeah. that we can visualize, right? Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, one of the, uh, when we come to science fiction, one of the things I will say about it is that Science fiction has great power and influence because of the fact that one can visualize through science fiction uh, futurist uh, uh, narrative scenarios in the form of uh, science fiction art, whether it's on magazine or book covers, and of course, through science fiction cinema. So in science fiction cinema, uh, you get a uh, a dynamic visualization of the future. And you brought up earlier uh, the robot in Metropolis, which is a, a memorable, I can't, iconic vision of uh, a robot as envisioned in the 1930s up on the screen. So visualizing using that sense and not just simply using words uh, is a uh, important dimension of what I would call future consciousness and science fiction clearly for a long, long time has been involved in the artistic dimension of imagining the future and alternate realities and other things too. Yeah, maybe we could have an entire show about art because it, it opens, you open so many doors now. We have to talk about immersive worlds and now we're going to have to have another talk to talk about art and science fiction and art and future studies, I guess. I have several dozen books in my library devoted to science fiction art, just the art of it. Uh, and uh, I'm making it. I'm going to ask you to come back. I'm telling you. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, yeah. Visualization, powerful dimension in um, uh, enhancing one's future consciousness, powerful dimension. So uh, let's go back to you as a futurist, right? So you are a board member and a fellow at the WSFS, right? So uh, could you please say a few words about the WFSF? Yeah, the World Future Study Federation, I joined about, oh, 25 years ago. And I joined it because in my assessment, it was the premier global organization for professional futurists. And uh, over the last 25 years, um, I've got to know lots of members within the uh, World Future Study Federation. There's lots of very interesting thinkers from around the globe. Um, and every other year, there's a global conference. There just was a global conference held in Berlin, Germany, 
uh, last month, which I attended. Uh, and the World Future Study Federation uh, has a, a very elaborate, interesting uh, website up, which you can go look at, with lots of educational resources uh, for people who are interested in uh, seeing what um, uh, professional futurists think about, write about. It has a online magazine, Human Futures, which, uh, in fact, I regularly contribute to. Uh, so it's a very um, uh, diverse um, a bunch of interesting people with the long history starting up in the, um, oh, uh, 50 years ago, roughly now. Uh, and I think it's the uh, uh, premier uh, uh, futurist organization in the world. Okay, so, um, so you mentioned a couple of things. So, so you believe there is indeed value of belonging and having membership? Oh, yeah, definitely, because uh, one gets to uh, know people from around the globe uh, and, uh, ha that have similar interests uh, in lots of cases uh, uh, regarding the study of the future. So it's a great place for social interaction, for developing friendships, um, I'm uh, good friends with the president, with the uh, director. Uh, uh, one, uh, one of those people uh, lives in Norway. The other one uh, was from the Middle East. So one gets a, um, uh, a sense of um, global humanity, at least global um, uh, futurists through, do, through becoming a member. And it gives you an opportunity if you're a futurist to uh, present your ideas to fellow futurists and people who are interested in uh, the same topics you're interested in. So it's a good way to have an impact upon uh, global thinking through the organization, as well as uh, developing friendships uh, and uh, collaboration through the organization. Wonderful. So I want to go back for a moment to, uh, you actually did present, just presented at the 24th uh, World Conference in Berlin, right? So, yeah. and your topic was uh, future studies and science fiction. So how do you see the relationship uh, between future studies and sci-fi? Uh, yeah, I just should mention at the beginning, I actually did three presentations at the uh, uh, conference and one of them was on science fiction and future studies. Um, a good way to answer your question as a starting point is that we shouldn't think that science fiction is just about the future of science and technology. Science fiction is about the future of everything. So good science fiction novels will discuss human society, will discuss psychology, will discuss values, will discuss the environment. So the value of science fiction to future studies is that science fiction provides narratives about all different possibilities regarding the future, but the possibilities are going to include all aspects of human reality and not just simply uh, developments or potential developments in science and technology. Um, and um, science fiction is an arena in which we can have and do have and always have had uh, diverse writers with different views, different ideas, so you get a variety of perspectives on the future through the narratives of science fiction. So um, a second important value that it has is it broadens your mind regarding the future 
on all different kinds of possibilities uh, regarding the future. Uh, so um, I should also mention that um, uh, science fiction uh, will stimulate one's consciousness uh, into thinking about whether possible futures envisioned in science fiction are desirable or not. And so science fiction uh, has an impact on our uh, views of what's, what are good possibilities and what are not so good possibilities. So it warns as well as it predicts or and, and predict, I mean, in the loose sense of here's a whole set of different uh, plausible possibilities for the future. Um, so uh, uh, there's lots of connections between science fiction and future studies. I just highlighted a couple of them. Now, uh, if understood correctly, you, you see them as complementaries, right? So uh, how is it that future studies can benefit from science fiction or how does science fiction benefit from future studies? How is that yeah, symbiotic uh, relationship? Yeah, it goes the other direction too. Um, uh, most um, uh, uh, people are uh, familiar to some degree with H.G. Wells as a science fiction writer uh, from War of the Worlds, The Time Machine, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, that's where our popular consciousness of Wells primarily lies. But Wells was also a great futurist and wrote as many non-fiction books about the future as fictional books about the future. And when Wells imagined in his novels possible futures, it was based upon a lot of thinking he did as a futurist to begin with regarding where is human society heading in the future. So like, for example, The Shape of Things to Come, which is one of his most famous uh, novels actually begins with about 150 pages of uh, analysis of history, the present, and trends into the future. And that informed and structured and shaped this novel that he ended up writing, the narrative he ended up writing in there. So future studies in the sense of thinking about the future doing research to identify trends, considering where those trends may be leading, all of that which comes out of future studies can be used as uh, a basis, a foundation for writing stories about the future and, and what possibilities are to come. Like right now, for example, all the futurist research going on regarding uh, uh, climate change, regarding the environment, uh, scientific studies on the whole thing, feeds into science fiction in contemporary times, and people write various novels and stories about our environment in the future in the form of, of narratives. So you do research, you come up with uh, ideas about trends, possibilities, where they're going, and then you try to create a story around that. And that's how future studies has impacts upon science fiction as one possibility. Yes, so uh, we have a comment uh, from Kai. Uh, Kai Gerlich is a futurist from Germany. I'm pretty sure you know him. So science fiction is uh, one frozen future. In many cases, the most interesting 
or dystopian ones. So uh, actually, do you have a preference? Uh, utopian or dystopian? Uh, what's your preference? Who, me? Yes. Well, okay, first of all, when Kai says it's one frozen future, I don't think I agree with that at all. Science fiction is evolving. It's not one future. It's multiple futures depending on the writers. It's not frozen. It keeps growing and changing. Now, he seems to think maybe the most interesting one, if I'm understanding, is the dystopian visions. Yes, and people are attracted to the dark side, so to speak, as opposed to the utopian visions where we have bright and uh, uplifting futures. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, and this is a comment that's uh, made about contemporary science fiction, that a lot of contemporary science fiction is indeed dystopian. And if you look at uh, uh, contemporary science fiction in the cinema, a lot of it is dystopian. Um, it's often a lot easier to imagine how things could fall apart and get worse and worse and worse than to imagine how things could get better. Um, and... I've thought sometimes in considering this issue, dis contemporary dystopian science fiction, that perhaps science fiction, contemporary science fiction that's dystopian, is simply re reflecting public consciousness, that our culture is rather depressive and pessimistic about the future. And people have commented on that. Uh, but I wouldn't say all human culture is like that because if I compare Western uh, uh, culture and its uh, mode of consciousness, that seems much more pessimistic and depressive collectively than Chinese popular culture and consciousness. They seem collectively much more optimistic about the future. And indeed, I would suggest that a lot of their science fiction is much more optimistic about the future then. So science fiction can reflect culture in, in that sense, contemporary culture. And in that sense, yes, uh, contemporary science fiction, a lot of it is dystopian because perhaps we're pessimistic as a culture. Uh, but I definitely wouldn't say it's one frozen future. By no means it isn't. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, trends. So um, right now, and, and perhaps that helps explain a little bit of what's going on, but we uh, have several topics uh, that worry us. So sustainability is one of them. So you see several dystopian futures where we say, well, uh, the world's going to end because uh, the environment is being destroyed or the uh, or perhaps, you know, uh, biological diversity uh, has come to a, a halt or, you know. So we kind of use uh, today's worries and we project them into the future and try to say, well, if this trend continues, Okay. Yeah, that's the consequence. So uh, do you see any specific trends, uh, either or, in uh, current society that influences the way that we see science fiction? Or do you see science fiction trends today uh, uh, that should bring us back to <clears throat> worrying or thinking or reimagining the present trends? Yeah, I already started, and you are an added to it as far as uh, contemporary trends there has been a significant rising in consciousness of environmental and ecological issues over the last, um, I'd say, 30 years in particular. But I should note that science fiction was concerned about such issues long before 20, 30 years ago. Um, so uh, there are trends today 
that are uh, having an impact on science fiction, uh, dimensions of public consciousness that are uh, important. And, and one of them is uh, issues regarding climate, the environment, ecology, uh, extinctions, uh, species diversity. And you find different science fiction writers today, but in the past too, writing about that thing. Uh, another one that's a, a, a contemporary issue today, uh, I say the last, uh, I'd say the last 20 years in particular, is issues with uh, gender identity uh, and uh, one's uh, sexual preferences and uh, race relationships. And this is, these are all uh, topics that are um, uh, areas of great interest to contemporary science fiction writers. Um, uh, actually, tracing this back a little bit further, when we uh, saw the uh, modern feminist revolution of the 1960s and 70s uh, as a significant uh, uh, new dimension in public consciousness, there was a great wave of women feminist science fiction writers who emerged in tandem with that. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, those are a, a couple ways in which uh, contemporary trends in uh, uh, society and public consciousness have had impacts upon uh, contemporary science fiction. Uh, I could flip it over and say that uh, developments such as cyberpunk, steampunk, and the new weird which have emerged in science fiction over the last 30, 40 years, that those have had an impact on our public consciousness as new developments in science fiction. Uh, here we go back again to this uh, point made before, there's only one frozen future in science fiction. No, science fiction has its revolutions too. And so new topics become points of, uh, of focus, points of interest and concern as science fiction has evolved in tandem with the way public consciousness evolves. The two are interacting with each other. Great. We have a, a very interesting uh, comment here and, and a question. Uh, so it's kind of looking at the um, other way around. So that's Martin Schwern. Uh, so I'm intrigued by the idea that impressive sci-fi can, quote, colonize the future. So essentially providing us with such a convincing idea of developments and options that we zero in on them as the only one conceivable. So quote the official future, right? So uh, the communicator in Star Trek is often cited as an example that led to cell phones as we now know them. So could famous uh, sci-fi be a driver of progress, but also limit our thinking how to get there. Yes, in fact, it does both. Because when I come up with an idea and attempt to show why it's a value uh, and perhaps why it's a plausible idea that could be developed, I am focusing and narrowing my consciousness on that particular idea. But in doing so, I help to create that reality. So taking the example of the communicator as a stimulus for the creation of a new reality, 
that's a plus to it. But of course, at the same time, certain ideas become popular and become the object of attention and interest. And in so doing, other ones uh, perhaps don't um, uh, become as uh, uh, influential or as popular. Uh, normal human consciousness must select among many different possibilities as to which it is going to uh, focus on and, uh, in quote, colonize, turn into the dominant uh, themes of one's mind. That goes on all the time. But see, it's both creative and it's limiting. But I'll go back again to uh, the comment I made earlier. Science fiction is a diversity of writers and themes. And therefore, you could pick on Star Trek and say, this is the Star Trek vision of the future. Or you could pick on a different one, like uh, uh, Octavia Butler in Parable of the Talents, and say, here's another vision totally different of the future than the first one. Um, so if one becomes familiar with uh, a different writers and different narratives, one sees that it's not being colonized in any sense different from the fact that we have many, many different ideas, all of which are on, this, uh, on center stage, the global stage. They're competing with each other. People are getting drawn to one versus the other. And at one time, we may focus on this. and Another time, we may focus on a different one. But that's ongoing. And that's the way the human mind works in and of itself. So right now, we spent a lot more time focusing on uh, artificial intelligence, computers, etc., as a, a, a dominant theme in popular culture, and less time focusing, say, on space travel. But 50 years ago, science fiction was focusing on space travel, then it started focusing more on computers and artificial intelligence. So there's these swings that go on, too where we go one way, we focus on that theme, then we go another way, we focus on another theme. Um, uh, but yes, it does, science fiction does structure our consciousness of the possibilities. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't change over time, and that's simply the way the human mind works, because you can't deal with everything at the same time, all the different possibilities, in terms of realizing them. That makes sense? <laughs> I, I think so. Yes, and, and thank you for the comment on that, too. Uh, that was from Martin, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Martin. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have a different kind of question because you mentioned it a couple of times. So um, I wanted to get your perspective. So what role does sci-fi play in the promotion of future consciousness? Yeah, uh, the role it plays is that Humanity comes at the future in many different ways, through many different professions, through many different mindsets. Science fiction is the most influential globally way in which we think about and imagine the future. Now, the term future consciousness simply means our consciousness of the future. And I don't mean crystal balls, I mean simply through our imagination, thinking, etc. And in that regard, our understanding, the possibilities we see ahead of us, the goals we set, science fiction as a mode of uh, uh, consciousness about the future 
is the most influential mode of consciousness about the future across the globe. So it clearly is having a big, big impact upon our evolving future consciousness in the sense of how our images and ideas about the future are growing and changing through time. Science fiction is having more to do with that than any, any other approach to the future. Wonderful. So um, I will um, pause for a moment and start a little bit of uh, a reflection for a moment. So uh, folks, uh, we've been uh, talking a little bit about uh, science fiction and how we got here. So one thing that I really wanted to uh, talk to Dr. Lombardo today was his trip or his journey, how he became a futurist. Today we have uh, several futurists on, on the audience with us. I can speak about my own trip. So uh, I was, so as an economist, I came from a very different perspective or very different background. My foundation was in econometrics or so model building. And I became very interested in the what-if scenarios and scenario planning. So I ended up doing my studies in, in scenario planning, trying to identify so the business conditions, the business situations, the business of tomorrow, not today, but the conditions for businesses to succeed in the near future. And then I started to go into the farther out kind of future. Uh, but scenario planning for me was uh, eye-opening for a variety of reasons. And I worked in different situations. So one was geopolitical, so uh, outcomes for the war in Ukraine. One was about biosciences, which was uh, basically the use of um, uh, genes and gene therapy. And so the other one was about renewable energy. So imagining the conditions where uh, that you know, would allow for uh, renewable energy to basically take flight. So my objective in uh, approaching futurism was to understand those uh, market situations, market requirements, what would the market look like? And it is very important. So when I talk to other futurists, sometimes people say, oh, uh, science fiction is, is not a business tool. Well, yes, it is. Science fiction is a, a, a business tool. So Dr. Lombardo does a great job at reminding us so when you talk about the future studies or science fiction, it's not just of this or that, not just of technology. So he was very clear, said science fiction is the future of everything. And when you say everything, then we have to bring in, so his background in psychology and philosophy. So we need to think about our society, the society of today and the society of tomorrow, what it looks like. And if we don't like what we imagine, so how, what can we do? How can we work to make this tomorrow or this quote science fiction world of tomorrow better? So that's the real value I believe that sci-fi brings is, and he uses the word consciousness. I'm gonna query him on, on his view of consciousness, but the idea is thinking about this world of tomorrow what it looks like, right? How we're going to live in this world? What are the human relations, our relationships to each other, to the environment, to the biodiversity, to sustainability, to all those things that are dear to our hearts are important, uh, but uh, we need to put them into perspective. So sci-fi is that tool, that recipe or that recipe book that we can use as futurists 
to imagine or create, or I, I say the word co-create because we, we have to create common views of the future, right? So we have to bring people together to imagine our, our future and then our trip. What's now we can say A, J. Well, after, after A, there's B, after B, there is C, after C, there is D. So we need to imagine that there's stops along the way so that A, we know where we are going and B, we like where we are going. But again, the, the idea of um, doing this small reflection is it was, it was I got several requests in terms of uh, say, kind of summarize. So I just wanted to highlight uh, the importance uh, of sci-fi and what we've been uh, talking about. Uh, so uh, let's um, go back to um, Dr. Lombardi for a moment. And uh, actually, uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to highlight some of the things uh, or what you have been saying, uh, why it's important to be so well-rounded in sci-fi as a tool. So a tool not just for uh, creating interesting stories, but to help us reflect uh, about the future. Yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to mm, switch gears a little bit and talk about your other roles. So we talked to you about you know, the writer. We talked to you about uh, the futurist. Now, I want to, uh, I, and I really want the people in the audience to know you as your other role. So you wear different, different hats. So you are the director of the Center for Future Consciousness. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about the Center? So what kind of work you do there? And I would also like to know what is the mi mission and what is the central message of the mission and the message of the Center? Yes, um, uh, a good question. Uh, if you don't mind, um, with my moment of reflection, I, uh, I reflected on uh, what we were discussing. First half, I have a couple additional comments I just wanted to quickly throw in. Uh, for those uh, uh, viewers who would be interested in seeing how science fiction could envision the uh, future of uh, a business and commercialism and uh, the economic sphere of human reality, uh, I would highly recommend reading Frederick Pohl and Cyril Kornbluth's The Space Merchants, which is a very prescient uh, vision of the future of business uh, and uh, prescient in the sense that it makes certain very accurate predictions about uh, how uh, the business world is having a increasingly powerful impact upon human society as a whole. So uh, science fiction gets into the business world. It's the future of everything. Um, a, a second comment is, uh, pertains to the idea that uh, the future can be colonized or it can be narrowed through popular images that develop in science fiction, like the communicator. Uh, there is a, uh, a quote uh, from a futurist, Virginia Pastrell, who said, the central question of our time is what to do about the future. And that question creates a deep divide. And what she's hitting on there is that different people have different views of where we should be heading in the future. And that's a normal, natural uh, uh, phenomena that's existed in human history going back thousands of years. We compete with each other over what are the preferable visions of the future. In fact, 
as a historian, I would argue that all great wars have to do with competition among uh, different visions of the preferable future. So in our history up through the present, we in fact do have different competing views. And one of them is in fact the Star Trek vision, but it's not the only vision. And uh, that's the normal state of affairs. Now, some visions become more dominant and some visions are given less attention, but that, that pluralism is always there in our contemporary world and through science fiction, we can get some familiarity with some of those visions being created by science fiction writers. Now, let's come to your question about um, the Center for Future Consciousness and um, um, uh, what is that all about? Now, I take the expression future consciousness as the center of gravity to my thinking. That is, it subsumes my interest in science fiction because science fiction is in fact a form of future consciousness, consciousness of the future. Now, what's the purpose of the center? The purpose of the center is primarily educational. That is, I write books, I give presentations online, I give presentations um, in person, uh, I do uh, a consulting and guidance for people about personal futures. Uh, so uh, it's a uh, educational organization. I'm a teacher at heart, and therefore I like to present ideas and get people thinking about those ideas. And in that context, um, what focus do I give to, the, to education, to the center? The mission of the Center for Future Consciousness is to facilitate the purposeful or future purposeful evolution of humanity through the heightening of our consciousness of the future, through wisdom and through science fiction. Now, what do I mean by the purposeful evolution of humanity? What I mean by that is that our most important issue in my mind, with respect to the future, is not developing our technologies more, is not directly dealing with economic or environmental issues. The most central, important issue is evolving ourselves psychologically, consciously. And so when I think about the purposeful evolution of humanity, what I'm thinking about is how we as a species can evolve in the future mentally, consciously, psychologically, which in my mind is gonna have a bigger and more positive impact upon the future than any other sphere or domain of the future. So I have courses on uh, evolving our wisdom, evolving our consciousness, developing our emotional, motivational attitudes toward the future, developing our thinking, developing our uh, sense of the big picture of things, uh, developing um, uh, cultural visions. So the focus is indeed to participate in the creation of the future through highlighting 
how we can go about evolving our own consciousness, our own minds, our own selves. No, that's great to think because some people don't know or never heard about, you know, human centered design and things like that. So putting people front and center, right? Not just technology, not just, you know, this or that or the other or the environment, but just, but we, we as people, we need to evolve and how we evolve. So that's the important stuff. Uh, yeah. you... Could I just wait, just let me mention one thing before I forget it there, Rob? I'm sorry for interrupting sure. you. Our environmental problems, our economic problems, our social justice problems, our political problems are all due primarily to the deficiencies and weaknesses and levels of our own human consciousness. We don't think ahead enough. We don't balance off our needs with other people's needs. We don't consider how we're connected with the environment. That is, all of our big problems really have to do with problems and the way we think and how we understand and what our motivation and emotions are. Um, and right now we have a big problem with having um, a bleak visions of the future. And bleak visions of the future are never going to bring us a positive future. We're too anxious and depressed consciously about our future <clears throat> to create a good future. Uh, so, in fact, um, to me, it seems critical that we evolve our minds. We got to evolve our minds. I guess sometimes you go back to the romantics, right? So they had the passions and then the end of the world, and we keep going back to the end of the world. So. Uh, when I do my talks and, and I, I realize that people are, are very somber in a, in a depressive mood, I do start with, yes, indeed, the world will end. We're going to talk about the end of the world. Scientists really do say the sun is going to turn into a supernova when the earth is going to be engulfed and it's going to blow up. Yes, yeah. but they also say it's going to happen a billion years from now. None of us will be around. So let's stop worrying about the end of the world and let's talk about something else. But, but you know... It, sometimes it's uh, we go back to the idea of the romantics and uh, the end of the world and the cataclysm. So I think it goes in cycles, especially here in the West. And I like the fact that you uh, make a contrast between how we think and how we see and the vibrant uh, way of uh, that they see in the East versus uh, maybe the depressiveness of the West. And but I guess that that makes it for. Um, colorful discussions between people from here and people from there and we can kind of help each other and we balance each other and we help each other understand reality a little bit better. Uh, but before I forgot, uh, I, I think it's important that you kind of clarify because you, you use the term future consciousness uh, a, couple, a couple of times. Yeah. Can you please explain what you mean by that? Yes, uh, future consciousness is all of those psychological abilities and modes of experience or our consciousness that we use, normal humans use, in dealing with the future. It includes our thinking and imagination about the future. It includes our emotions about the future, like hope and fear. It includes our motives and our goals. It includes our planning, our strategic foresight. It includes the stories we tell about the future. 
It includes the narratives that we create about our own future life. So future consciousness subsumes all the different dimensions of the human mind that we possess, all of us possess, in dealing with the future. And this capacity that we all have to different degrees is our most distinctive and empowering mental capacity that we can't imagine out ahead, that we can feel the possibilities, that we can plan and set goals. That set of capacities is what drove the evolution of human civilization. That is, the world we live in today is a creation of our ability to transcend the present and project out emotionally, psychologically into the future and attempt to create those visions. This is all a creation of our future consciousness. And so indeed, if this is what makes us distinctive and this is what empowers us, then this is something we should get better at doing because lots of times we're not very good and we're very limited and very uh, unimaginative and very uh, pessimistic and nihilistic and depressive and anxious about the future. That's part of our future consciousness. And in those cases, uh, we're um, uh, not facilitating very well our own continued evolution. So it's critically important that we that we uh, further evolve, purposefully evolve this uh, set of capacities. And that, in fact, goes back to, say, for example, my book, Future Consciousness, uh, The Pathway to Purposeful Evolution, in which I talk about how people personally, individually can enhance all those aspects of their future consciousness from creativity, imagination, thinking, learning, motivation, emotion, our social consciousness, our sense of our personal selves, all that's uh, I cover in that book. And all that is, are things that each of us individually and collectively as societies can work toward developing and further empowering, because that's our most empowering and distinctive capacity. Okay, so I wanted to um, go back a little bit to a different kind of... Uh comment. Uh, so the uh, reason why we have so many dystopian views of the future is because they are pushed through, right? They are advocated, uh, publicized, uh, imposed into onto us, right? So I have a, a comment here from Kai, right? So the idea of the Great Reset is one of them, right? So uh, by the World Economic Forum, right? So do you consider those kinds of dystopian views a, this, is this science fiction or is this just another narrative that people are trying, a bag of goods they're trying to sell us? Okay, when we say just a narrative, thing to keep in mind, it's stories or narratives that all humans live by. So just the narrative is to minimize the power that the narrative has. We're, uh, whatever we create in the future, we're going to support and fuel it through some kind of narrative, some kind of story that we're going to be telling ourselves. Now, is it uh, science fiction? Uh, well, it's science fiction in the sense that, that if it's a, 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 a plausible uh, a narrative 
about our future and we're and we can work it out in some detail tell some stories about it yes it's science fiction um now we often tell people stories uh and it's nothing but a story and we don't attempt to implement that story then it just becomes a uh what um, a good publicity a sales pitch whatever it happens to be the question is going to be here whether we can uh flush out that narrative and attempt to live by it. I tell people that they should live by wisdom narratives. But in order to live a wisdom narrative, you really got to practice it and put it into uh, into reality as opposed to simply saying, I'm going to try to be wise. Uh, so it's going to be how serious that uh, a narrative is actually lived. Uh, and, um, we, and again, we shouldn't think of... Um, a science fiction as well. People say that, well, there's fact and then there's science fiction. No, that's a fuzzy wuzzy distinction. Okay. Science fiction is the arena in which reality in the future is being envisioned and implemented. So some people would say that science fiction is more realistic a literature than anything else is. Because it's where all the action is going to be, where the possibilities are, how we're going to work it out. And uh, so um, uh, we can be pessimistic about our global institutions and say it's just a lot of window dressing and they don't really mean it and they just agree with the words and they're not going to do anything actually about it. And there's some truth in that probably. But there's also the possibility that we can make that narrative become real, you know, that we, we can turn it into reality. So in your yeah. view, it's, uh, so it's a theater, right? So um, we, we, go, we walk into the theater, so this is the environment, and then, okay, is it going to be an opera? And is it going to be a soprano? Right, right. What is the story going to be about? So uh, right. you see this as, this is just the environment. The environment is there. Now, whether it's going to be, you know, a rock concert or an opera, it's up to us to decide what we want to envision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I like your metaphor of the theater because uh, the world stage is a theater. And science fiction writers realized that a long time ago. And it's a theater in the sense that different people with different ideologies, different philosophies, get up on the world stage and present their story, their way of thinking about reality and tomorrow. And they all get up there, and then we out in the audience listen to them all and decide which story we like the best, which we want to pursue. Again, back to the notion that the future is this competitive reality, it always has been, of different shows, the rock concert, the uh, uh, the gentle snow that no, way. Let me see uh, the, the the gentle tranquil uh, a story of living in harmony with nature, or the transhumanists evolving into immortal minds inside of computers. Part of the uh, power of science fiction is that it dramatizes with characters and plots and tension and all of that these different stories. Yeah, so 
uh, yes, it's a theater with different shows and different feelings to them. And we're all getting up there and presenting our particular story of the future and attempting to influence emotionally. This has got to be emotional, not just cognitive, emotionally, the allegiance of the people sitting out in the audience. And that's ongoing. <laughs> so I, I want to continue in the same metaphor, and I really want to ask for your advice. So mm -hmm. we are all sitting on the theater, but on, and we talked about, and you very clearly explained, you know, most of the conflict, if not all, that emerged has been because of our conflicting views of the future. Now, yeah. we are sitting in the theater, and there's a bunch of hooligans here, right? So if they don't get what they want, you know, things are not going to go well. So yeah. what, from the consciousness perspective or from your perspective as a futurist, what can we do in order to uh, have a future with uh, less of that kind of destructive conflict and more with some kind of the constructive confrontation? Okay, we got to think that one through, Ron. Okay, because first of all, I would say, realistically speaking, we're never going to get rid of the hooligans. Okay. Because human history is always has its hooligans. That is, when a group of people decide this is the way we're going to go, guaranteed some other group of people are going to say, I don't want to do that. And they can create all kinds of different forms of agitation to the point of civil wars or all-out national wars or uh, a civil unrest, et cetera, et cetera. That's our struggle because that's the nature of human reality. We compete with each other. Now, flip it over. Let's say we think that the best possible future is that the majority of us were to agree. Because wouldn't that be great? Since all we do is bicker and fight all the time, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Now, when we think about that possibility, we have to ask a different kind of question, which is, is it a good thing that we all agree? Because when everybody thinks and behaves the same way, that's another kind of dystopian image. In fact, the dystopian images that became popular in the first half of the 20th century all had to do with societies that enforced uniformity. We, by Zamiatin, Brave New World by Huxley, City of Endless Night by Hastings, and 1984 by George Orwell. Those were the classic dystopias of the first half of the 20th century, and they all involved uniformity. And so somebody who believes in ideological diversity would say, it's a good thing that we fight with each other. God forbid we ever all agree. And really, God forbid that somebody makes us all agree. Yeah. So we have to find some some balance where yes. uh, we, yes. we don't kill each other yet. We, yes. we yes. have this healthy disagreements, I guess. Yes, exactly, Ram. That's it. Now, that becomes a more sophisticated vision of the future, not one where uh, anything goes, or not one where only one view goes, but some kind of balance that we can achieve here between 
uh, a diversity and disagreement, acknowledging sometimes, you know, I don't know whether we'll ever get rid of human violence entirely. And science fiction suggestions for getting rid of it entirely are going to involve well, very good, brain, brain modification or genetic modification. Now, the diversity side is not going to like that, you know? You know, don't rob me of my individuality. Don't take away my aggressiveness. In fact, there was a Star Trek episode once on that where the dark side of Kirk was separated from the light side. And, uh, and the peaceful side of Kirk was, omnip uh, was impotent. He had no physical, psychological force behind him. And they had to unite together. So to me, to go back to the ancient Chinese, you know, the future is going to be a yin-yang. It's going to be dark and light. And, uh, uh, and, and I don't know whether or not I would want everybody to, dis everybody to agree. Uh, although you got to have some level of agreement. Right now, we don't have enough at a global level. At least we don't seem to. Uh, so I don't know what to do about the hooligans, because it seems to me like the hooligans are always going to be there. By them, I guess. I guess the value of the center for is helping us think about the future, about communications, about sharing, about caring, about evolving together. Because if we can establish a good level of communications, even though we may have antithetical views of the future, we may be able to sit and work it out without breaking the stage, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, that's, your, that's your hope, and the question is if that's realistic. Okay, okay, but anyway, that's a whole thing in and of itself. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll stop on that. Okay, okay. Uh, now we, we have more to talk about. So yeah. I want to uh, talk to you a different way. So I wanted to the audience to get to know you as a writer. So I wanted to just highlight the two latest books. And again, uh, Dr. Lombardo had a longer interview just about the books, and I will post it here. And I also post a view of uh, the video of the book launch. But his uh, two latest volumes, uh, Science Fiction, The Evolutionary Mythology of the Future, Volume 2, The Time Machine to Metropolis, and Volume 3, Superman to Starmaker, they are all available on, uh, as well as Volume 1 on amazon.com so let's talk a little bit about those two new books that you just really published uh and they are again on the sci-fi series titled evolutionary mythology so there's a volume one that we didn't talk about uh, so uh what are those books all about well uh the books are about many different things but one thing they're about is uh, uh communicating the rich and long history of science fiction. That science fiction didn't begin with Frankenstein. Science fiction goes back much, much further. And so it's to introduce readers to the uh, extensive history and development of science fiction over the last couple thousand years. So it broadens our understanding, it broadens the reader's understanding of uh, the uh, uh, temporal expanse, the history of science fiction. And there was a lot of science fiction written in earlier decades, earlier centuries. And to get a feeling, an understanding for all of it is, uh, I think, very educational. Uh, uh, for example, 
when people uh, speculate on what are the possibilities for the future uh, and what kind of uh, narratives uh, you could write if you wanted to be a science fiction writer, it's important to know the history because a lot of times people from before, earlier on, had imagined the same things. So, uh, for example, uh, the study of the future has a long history. So if one wants to be a futurist, one should learn the history of futurist thinking. Um, I also want to demonstrate that the evolution of science fiction uh, occurred in interaction with the evolution of human consciousness as a whole. So how did developments in a religion, philosophy, science, technology, politics, how did all those kinds of developments in our history impact science fiction, but also how did science fiction have an impact on the development of human society? So if science fiction has been such a powerful mode of uh, uh, thinking, of powerful mode of uh, 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 storytelling. In what ways has science fiction actually uh, had a, a direct uh, effect upon the way human society has grown? Um, I also write, uh, wrote the books and, and uh, will continue to write uh, uh, new ones uh, in the series because I just find uh, reading and understanding and explaining and participating in the narratives, the rich narratives, interesting narratives that different writers have created as intrinsically uh, enjoyable. Um, uh, I loved studying and understanding uh, deeply H.G. Wells, uh, which people, of course, know H.G. Wells. But I also found it very fascinating to understand the mind of Olaf Stapleton or of... Um, uh, other ones that I have covered, Abraham Merritt and H.P. Lovecraft, very fascinating people. So it's just intrinsically rewarding to me to sit and read science fiction, to try to understand it, to try to explain it to others, because you go on all of these fascinating trips of thinking and imagination by uh, going back and looking at all of the uh, uh, great minds that have uh, contributed into this uh, ever-growing, ever-evolving uh, um, area of uh, writing. So um, I, I'm writing the books, uh, in a sense, as uh, an adventure for me uh, and an adventure that you could participate in, too, by reading about these people and reading about their ideas and reading about their stories and seeing how the whole thing keeps evolving further and further. And the, and the expansive... Uh, uh, vistas that different individuals have been able to realize uh, throughout history. I lost your voice. I'm saying I think this is the okay. beauty of um, technology today is um, we can read the books, we can go to the center, we can look at the seminars, we can you know have those debates, we can have those discussions, we can have the talk shows and the podcasts where all those ideas are and you know, discussed and that's thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your journey with everybody so mm -hmm. uh i do have a pointed question uh, so to you so uh, what is the importance of science fiction um it fundamentally facilitates 
or enhances the evolution of one's own consciousness. That is, in lots of ways, human consciousness is narrow, conservative, unimaginative. By diving into the great narratives that have been written in science fiction, you expand your mind in the same way studying the future expands your mind. So it, uh, it, it, it facilitates our ongoing conscious evolution. Uh, and then also, it's an enjoyable form of literature and art. It impacts you uh, emotionally uh, and uh, personally, and uh, it inspires you. Um, uh, there's lots of different values uh, that are connected with uh, science fiction. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, people are storytellers, people of narratives. And so if you want to get a, a realistic and stimulating uh, 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 visions of the future or of alternate realities even, read science fiction. So on, on that note, I have a different question. So uh, in your view, what are the top three most influential works of science fiction? The top three most influential works of science fiction. Okay. All right. Okay. We're asking you to choose among your kids, I guess. <laughs> tough uh, okay. question. Yeah. All right. Uh, tough, that's okay. All right. Um, I don't mean to condone these three novels. Obviously, Frankenstein, the novel, has had a big influence on the... Uh, future evolution of science fiction, but often in a very depressing and nihilistic fashion. And so fears of technology, of man playing God, of manipulating nature, that's a recurrent theme that keeps coming up in science fiction. And you can go back to Frankenstein as the modern starting point for that fear of the future and, and uh, of, of, uh, of us using technology, using science to uh, alter nature and it's gonna end up biting us in the ass. That's the first one. And that's the theme that comes up to the present because Terminator and The Matrix as popular uh, contemporary science fiction cinema are the same thing, except now it's a computer. Um, uh, number one. Uh, uh, the second one I would list uh, influential would be H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Because uh, The Time Machine uh, uh, was uh, the beginning of uh, what we would call really modern science fiction. Um, and it presented a, a vision of the future. It uh, uh, introduced and highlighted the notion of traveling through time. And it was a very effective uh, a story that uh, influenced lots of later stories that were written about traveling into the future or traveling into the past. It became one of the um, uh, central themes in science fiction, time travel. And of course, time travel into the future, it became, a, uh, that is the central theme as well. How will the future be? 
And how could the future backfire? Because, of course, 800,000 years in the future, what you find is humanity separated into the weak Eloi who are um, um, uh, nurtured and then eaten by the underground Morlock. Um, and it's a projection of from today. Um, and it was the beginning of uh, a Wells, who, uh, who has been the most influential science fiction writer ever. It was the beginning of his uh, big career in, as a science fiction writer. Uh, so that would be number two. The third I would list is Olaf Stapleton's Star Maker, because Star Maker has more ideas in it, more creations of human imagination, probably than any other single science fiction novel. Arthur C. Clarke said that Star Maker was the greatest work of human imagination ever written. And Star Maker, through all of its varied inventions, through its uh, 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 narrative, and the narrative in Star Maker runs for uh, 30 billion years into the future, we find a host of different ideas about possible futures, possible aliens, uh, the spread of intelligence through the universe. So Star Maker is probably the most imaginative, at least for its time, for clearly for its time, science fiction novel ever written. Um, so I, and uh, next to H.G. Wells, a lot of people will say that Stapleton was the next most influential writer. Stapleton is not as well known outside of popular, outside of, uh, in popular culture as Wells. But Stapleton had a big impact on lots of different writers because he was so full of so many different ideas. Well, I guess I... Um could uh, go on forever, and I have a load more questions to ask, but I guess that's um, all the time we have for today. So, wow, this was such a great talk. You know, time flies by. You know, Dr. Lombardo, thank you so very much, and again, I, I hope to see you soon. Yeah, Ron, thank you, and uh, thank you for the people that did ask questions, uh, and I um, uh, hope to see you soon, too, uh, and it was a nice chatting. Thank you. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so folks, I just want uh, to remind you, Dr. Tom Lombardo's books are available on um, Amazon.com. And if you uh, want to uh, have more comments or questions, please, uh, even if you're watching this show via podcast or as a recording, you too can be part of the conversation. Again, just visit our YouTube channel and leave a comment or a question, and I'll make sure Dr. Lombardo uh, gets it. So it's uh, time for us to uh, start uh, to say our goodbye. So I will mention a little bit about the upcoming events. On December the 17th, we have Mexican futurist Alicia Baena. And we have Dr. Stefan Bergheim from uh, the ZGF Center in Frankfurt. Uh, next, we're going to have futurist Zhang Go from uh, Singapore. She has lots of things to talk to us about, about speculative fabulation. We'll continue along the same lines of the topics you guys suggested. So technology, the metaverse, and sustainability, and how they impact the future. Uh, so just Joya, uh, author of the Herman newsletter, she's coming by as well. And we have a series of events being lined up. So Markets and Markets has roundtables. ICI has new conferences. And Frost and Sullivan also has some. 
So we have uh, lots of things uh, to talk about. Now, again, I just wanted to uh, take a little bit of time to, you know, thank you so very much for your presence and your participation in the show today. You can always, uh, you know, reach out to the magazine or to me, the host, via Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or YouTube. Uh, so any one of them or all of them. And again, thank you so very much, the audience. And thank you so very much, Dr. Lombardo, uh, for your presence uh, here today. And I'm going to leave you with our institutional message. <laughs>